Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. To help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, 9.04 here on SENZ, uh, Marina, to uh, all of you listening uh, around the country, uh, it might actually apply to my sermon, that little piece of music, uh, we'll see what that's about very shortly, uh, but uh, thanks to Brent, uh, our uh, local John Deere equipment suppliers, for your great support of the show. Uh, shortly after uh, a sermon, we'll be speaking to uh, Sarah McGlashan, Sarah of course is the New Zealand Cricket High Performance Coach, and she's currently in Potchestrom. And uh, it's about uh, 10 o'clock in the evening over there. So uh, we'll talk to her because uh, her under-19 New Zealand women's cricket team are in the semi-finals of the World Cup uh, and they're playing India tomorrow. So uh, we'll talk to Sarah about that. Uh, Australian Open update uh, from about 9.30 onwards and that includes an interview just after 10 with Brett Phillips who's the SCN tennis commentator. Uh, panel with David Long and uh, Brendan Bradford. We'll talk rugby league, uh, Warriors in particular. Some rugby cricket, some netball as well. The Silver Ferns falling overnight uh, to Australia. So uh, that wasn't a great result for them. Uh, we'll have a pacing for purpose uh, horse for you uh, around about uh, 10 to 11. Uh, a stump smithy at 11.30. And before that, we'll talk to Kane Jones, who is from New Zealand Bloodstock, about the, the sales coming up, the Karaka sales. Um, they are big this weekend, starting on Sunday, I believe. We'll get all the details of that uh, just after 11 o'clock. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's sermon. Well, uh, last year he hit the headlines because they wouldn't let him play. In fact, uh, they didn't even want him around because he wouldn't fall into line. This year, some are saying he's faking an injury, accusing him of duping opponents with leg strappings and stories of all-nighters on machinery just to get out on court and try and get through. They call him the Joker, and behind closed doors he must be laughing like hell at the Aussies. Novak Djokovic has won their Open nine times. He's odds on to do it again. He's a buck 17. He's unbackable on our tote. It will be akin to that over there as well. 
nine times since his first victory in 2008. Seldom anywhere in the world would there be a dominance match, especially at the highest level, the pinnacle of the game. He's the only man aside from the great Rockhampton Rocket Rod Laver to hold all four majors at the same time. Not everyone hates him. He's won the Laureus Sports Person of the Year awards four times. That's prestigious indeed. Although regarded by many as aloof and somewhat selfish, he was the main man when it came to the formation of the Pro Professional Tennis Players Association, citing the need for players to have more influence on the tour and advocating better prize money structure for lower ranked players. At latest count, he is the all-time leader in prize money with a cool $164,786,653 US dollars. Incidentally, there's 76.5 million Australian dollars up for grabs in this tournament, a reported 2.975 million to the men's and women's winners. You can ban and heckle and doubt them if you like Australia, but the joke's on you because the joker's all over you again and his name's already inked on the big check. You like to hate him, but you gotta love him. Well, the White Ferns have, uh, of course, landed in South Africa this week in preparation for their T20 World Cup that takes place next month. But there's already a T20 World Cup happening in the country with the under-19s, of course, and uh, New Zealand are going extra well. They've finished second in their group to play uh, behind England on net run rate. They'll now face India in the semi-finals for a chance to either play England or Australia in the grand final. With us now is uh, New Zealand Cricket's high-performance coach, Sarah McGlashan, who's over there uh, with the under-19s. Uh, Sarah, uh, good evening to you, South African time. Uh, thanks very much for uh, staying up for us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Hey, look, uh, this is a fantastic performance so far, um, to be perfectly honest. Um, it, it, I won't say a cakewalk, but you, you've played a good brand of cricket and you've dominated. Yeah, I know the group's gone really well. Um, I think it's fair to say we've probably surprised ourselves a little bit, um, to be honest, in terms of how well the girls have gone. Um, but like you said, like we, you know, we're just wanting them to go out there and play an exciting brand of cricket. Um, you know, it's the most fun. It was the best way to do it. So yeah, no, they're doing really well and had some pretty convincing performances. So uh, basically, you've been in uh, Potchefstroom um, for uh, two or three weeks now. Uh, you must be getting a little bit sick of the side of the place, but uh, you've found a, a good way to play on the surfaces there. Yeah, it's, um, there's not too much to do, and the security's pretty strict. Um, but yeah, you know, that's what's been impressive about the group, is they've just got on with things, and you know, when it's sort of time on task, they're doing really well, and then you know, they're trying to enjoy each other's company and sort of a few cultural experiences as well off the field. Um, so yeah, no, they're doing very well. Right, okay, let's uh, look at um, the Potchefstroom ground and the conditions there because it's had a fair amount of traffic. As you head into the semi-final, final stage, what are you what are you expecting from the pitch surfaces? Yeah, so there'll be um, new wickets, but sort of brought up new wickets, so to speak, um, in terms of the semi-finals and the finals. So that'd be a good thing because um, it's fair to say with the heat over here um, and the really condensed schedule, um, it's been pretty tough for the groundsmen to sort of get any water on them and things like that. So, um, yeah, we probably don't expect it to be overly different, though, to be honest. Have the, have the pitches so far, have they... I, I watched um, a game the other day where England played 
they used about five or six spinners. I just wonder, uh, is that the trend at, at this, the, this the particular juncture in the tournament now, or has that been the, the way the, the whole way through? Um, I actually think it's kind of been all the way through, to be honest. Um, you know, especially India, who we're about to come up against. Um, most games have just gone on with the one seamer, um, and I wouldn't say the conditions sort of suited that, or not necessarily suited it, but you know, called for it early on. I think it's just the way sort of the women's games going with T Twenty cricket at the moment. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so you're happy with your spin bowling stocks then, obviously? Yeah, no, really happy. Um, obviously, a big shame to lose Fran without um, bowling the ball, but that was always, I guess, sort of the risk having her involved. Um, but she was awesome around the group um, and sort of continued to provide a lot of knowledge and experience to our spinners. Um, but no, really happy with the balance of the full squad. Um, and everyone sort of had a good run as well and done well out in the middle. Uh, a lot of the results um, demonstrate that you've been largely untested. Uh, is that now a bit of a, a worry going in against India? Um, no, I think early on it was probably more concerning that our batters hadn't been getting a hit. Um, I think the first sort of three games we only had three batters bat. Um, so then sort of the optional trainings turned into full trainings for the batters. Um, but no, you know, they've been testing themselves in the nets and we've had a couple of open wickets to allow them to sort of get that game situation um, going on. Um, but yeah, no, for sure, you know, like any tournament, the further you go into it, the harder you expect games to get. You've got um, Georgia Plimmer with you, of course, um, and uh, she found some uh, good form in the last game ag- against uh, Pakistan. What, what about uh, the batting strength then? Uh, who are you relying on going forward now? Um, I think I wouldn't say we're relying on anyone, which is a really exciting thing about our batting group. Um, you know, we've got a really strong middle order that's hardly had a hit due to the success of the top order. Um, but when they have had opportunities, even like Georgia um, and Izzy Gaze in the last game, they've done really well. So they play an exciting brand of cricket um, as well. They're naturally attacking batters. So um, it's been very, very nice to watch. In terms of um, the spin bowling, of course, you, you need wicket-keeping strength when you're standing up to the stumps uh, for a predominance of the overs. How's uh, Izzy Gaze uh, looking with the gloves? Yeah, no, she's doing well. And, um, you know, she is our frontline keeper now, especially with Antonia out. Um, they're sort of sharing the gloves for a while there. But, um, no, she's doing well. Um, you know, they are testing conditions. But I think um, the experience she gained in the West Indies and Antigua, um, you know, provided her with a lot of sort of instant feedback in those games um, and was pretty testing physically. She played in every game. So, um, yeah, no, she's certainly used to it. Uh, uh, do you prefer to set a target and defend or are you happy doing either? I think we're happy doing either. Um, we have bowled first in nearly every game, no one's saying that. Um, but, no, I think the girls really don't mind um, which way the toss sort of goes at the moment. Um, but, you know, it's been a morning game. Um, you know, that might play into it a bit more than what we've done in the afternoon game. So, uh, India, what are their strengths? Um, certainly the spin bowling, because that's all they sort of bowl. Um, like they've had one pace bowler, which is amazing. Um, but, you know, for some of these girls, they played them um, when we toured India in November. Um, so they've had that experience of playing against most of these players. Um, but, you know, you add in the likes of um, Shafali Verma and Gosh as well. Um, and, yeah, it's a very exciting lineup um, with some great experience from the senior players. England and Australia are on the other side of the draw. Um, of those two sides, so who would you um, who would you think would go through, or is it pretty even? 
Well, I think it'd be pretty even. Um, England have played some absolutely quality cricket, um, but probably haven't been tested either. Um, just sort of the way the draws have been, and with sort of sixteen countries playing in this World Cup, um, there's a real range in terms of what you're coming up against. Um, so yeah, no, I think that'll be that'll be a great game. Um, you know, the Aussie pace attack very impressive, um, and I think just for those two countries, you know, they've got players that are sort of fairly full-time cricketers at a domestic level playing in franchise cricket with other internationals. So the um, the experience they gain from those competitions um, is very valuable in these tournaments. Well, tournaments like this, uh, Sarah, are a great opportunity to evaluate the, the next generation of talent, see how they're progressing in their uh, own sort of development. Uh, as a New Zealand cricket high-performance coach, uh, what are you seeing out there in terms of the roll-on effect? Well, I think for me, it's just seen how like how much they're learning. To be honest, um, you know, for some of them, they're they're sort of fringe domestic players. Some of the girls haven't played a senior domestic cricket yet. Um, but especially, you know, we've had players sort of like Kaylee Knight and Natasha Kadaya that went to India um, and then came back, and you know, they had success within the domestic cricket, especially Kaylee and Super Smash. So that's been really pleasing um, to sort of see the opportunities that have come just from them playing more cricket, to be honest, and especially with touring and coming up against different competitions, um, uh, opposition, sorry, but, you know, like the Flora um, debuted for CD and little things like that are really pleasing. So, Sarah, in terms of um, going forward as well, uh, I just wonder, wonder that uh, the uh, women's IPL is about to uh, kick off. Uh, they haven't even had the option yet, but it's, it's not too far away from kicking off. Uh, which is going to keep, um, uh, I would imagine, um, senior players uh, in the game just a little bit longer. Just common sense is that money-wise. Um, so do you, do you expect that to be the case with some of our um, more seasoned players in, in the White Ferns proper? Yeah, I think, I think at the moment it's really pretty hard for them to think about walking away, to be honest. Um, you know, with the franchise cricket that's on offer, um, there's so many competitions now. Um, yeah, there's there's plenty out there for them. So whether that impacts the international game, um, yeah, who knows at the moment. But I think it's pleasing to see some of those senior players get financially rewarded for um, some pretty long careers doing it tough early on. One of the, the hard things for, for young um, men or young women who um, you know go on tour for the first time and for a lot of these young players, uh, this is probably one of the more extended times they've been away from home. Um, how do you keep them... Uh, how do you keep them focused? How do you keep them um, away from the homesick type thing and, and, and keep them, you know, happy? Yeah, it certainly is um, for this group. And, um, you know, we we're sort of talking the other night, you throw COVID in there and that sort of takes a lot of these girls back to sort of being 12, 13-year-old um, kids to an extent. Um, so, yeah, even just the travel, um, the travel to start with, um, you know, none of the girls were used to that sort of long-haul flight and lots of things that they're experiencing for the first time. Um, but certainly being on the road and being away from home is pretty challenging. Um, but no, I've been really impressed the way they've got on so well, um, so quickly as well. We didn't have much of a lead-up into this. Um, it's been really impressive. Um, we've tried to do a few things, been on sort of like animal parks and things like that. Um, but like I say, the security's pretty strict. Um, so yeah, we haven't actually got out too much, unfortunately. Tell, tell us about the, the level of security and why. Um, I think it's just initially that there's just so many countries involved, like 16 countries um, in terms of teams, to then actually have enough 
security on the ground um, that when teams are going away from um, the accommodation that they need police escorts and things like that. So I think part of it is actually just to to be across and have enough staff um, available for all the teams. Um, yeah, but um, no, like everyone feels really safe. It's certainly not that anything, this um, area is unsafe. It's just that, um, yeah, it's maybe spread thinly in terms of resources with it. But no, they're doing really well. There's about 20 monkeys around the accommodation this morning, so that provided entertainment for the girls. Fantastic. Uh, I, I've got to say, I mean, I've been to Pochestrom. Um, I didn't stay long, fortunately, but uh, I didn't have the chance to get to know it as well as uh, as uh, your group has, has got to go. I uh, got to know it, and um, I, I'm sort of, I'm not envious of you at this point, but that was quite some time ago. Um <laughs> I just wonder if you're getting a little bit stir crazy though. Yeah, no, they've done really well. We um, we ventured out today to actually just another hotel now <laughs> to sort of jump in a new pool and um, have different <laughs> scenery. Um, so <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's as simple as that, just changing your scenery. Um, but no, I think they're fine. Um, there's, I don't know, there's some singing going on upstairs at the moment and stuff. So yeah, no, they certainly entertain themselves well. That's cool. Um, just overall, uh, as you look at um, women's cricket at this level, are you happy with what you're seeing? Um, you know, you've been around the game for a long time. Are you, you're happy with the development uh, globally? Oh, certainly. The skills that are on display here at this tournament um, are really impressive. Um, you know, I think that the challenge for us at New Zealand Cricket is we've just, we need to put a program in place that um, is like there's constant steps for these players. Um, you know, if we're honest at the moment, there's a, a big jump um, from sort of age group cricket to domestic cricket and then to the international game. But what we're seeing at the moment is that jump's happening really quickly. Um, so, you know, that's sort of my job to try and create more of these opportunities um, for these players. Well, Sarah, also I guess you've, you've got to um, look at the development um and, you know, the continued development of the, of the younger members, too, of uh, the White Ferns uh, squad that uh, is currently getting ready to play um, that T20 World Cup. About 12 months ago, we saw the 50-over World Cup in uh, in New Zealand, and uh, we, we didn't make the playoffs, which was uh, a bit of a bummer. But um, how, do you, how do you figure in T20 cricket, looking at the makeup of our side and those sides competing, how do you feel we might go there? Yeah, I think, if I'm honest, like a team with your Susie... Um, with your Susie and Sophie and Amelia and players like that um, that are genuine match winners, um, we always we always have a chance. Um, yeah, I think in my ideal world it would just be that our domestic competition, um, you know, provides them better preparation um, and more sort of competitive cricket when leading into these events. Um, so yeah, I've actually really liked the fact that you know some of the some of the um, Major associations have got overseas players, and you know, I saw some highlights on the TV the other day of Charlie Nod and Laura Harris, um, you know, having a bit of fun at the basin, and yeah, it looked really impressive. So, all going well, um, we can just continue to lift the standard of that Super Smash competition. Yeah, that would be good because uh, that'll have a flow-on effect. Hey, Sarah, can uh, thanks very much for uh, taking the time to to just enlighten us a wee bit. Now that it, uh, it's becoming very, very serious for your your group over there. All the very best against uh, India, and uh, we'll be watching from home. Thanks for your time. Awesome. Thanks, Buzzy. Experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
9.28 here on SENZ. Yesterday we asked uh, for your text to come in on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Uh, in terms of uh, your wish list for 2023, we'd like to continue that to today. Um, if you've got the opportunity, double eight, double three, double eight, double three is the number. Come in and uh, give us your wish list. Um, yesterday, uh, Damien came in uh, from sunny Omaru a wee bit late, so we went, didn't have the opportunity to uh, read it out. Uh, my wish list to have decent people in top decision-making positions to make logical decisions in the best interests of our professional teams. Uh, looking at uh, Robinson from uh, the rugby CEO and Bob Carter, he was poor with the Black Ferns and adding nothing to the Black Caps currently. Why are they there? So that's uh, from Damien. He wants to see uh, the right people making the right calls. Not a bad wish. Uh, Mikey G, in my top four, no uh, faith in my All Blacks. Uh, so Ireland to win the World Cup, my second team. OK, Mikey, you want Ireland to win the World Cup. Uh, two, put some bloody foundations down and start building the Christchurch Stadium. Right, OK, I think that's on everyone's uh, wish list down there. Ryan Fox to win a major. A uh, few people have come in with that one. And the Black Caps to win the World Cup. That is the one um, ultimate wish for Mikey. Uh, is really, is that the Black Caps win the World Cup. Um, my wish list uh, is to have decent people... Uh, oh, I've got to read that one out, sorry. Why are they there? Oh, no, that's, is that the same? Yes, it is. It's the same one. Why are they there is the question. Yeah, that was Damien. Um, how about... Um, how does, and listening to the, that little um, sting that we played from uh, Staffy's show there yesterday with Mitch McLennigan, he asked about Bob Carter. Uh, Mike said, how does Bob Carter still get a gig with NZ Cricket? It beggars belief. Uh, how about trying Phillips opening now, Brace was a finisher. Phillips, Conway, Kane, Williamson, uh, Mitchell, Latham, Bracewell, uh, that'll be Michael Bracewell, Santner, Sodi, Southey, Ferguson, Bolt, in Indian conditions, or Henry if Bolt is out. Doug Bracewell for Sodi if the past bowling pitches are more applicable than the spin bowling pitches. So uh, come on in with uh, your wishes for 2023. Uh, we'd love to hear them um, in terms of sport. They don't not have to be sport, actually. They can be something else uh, of another nature. It's uh, 9.30 here on SENZ. We'll be focusing on tennis uh, for about the next 35 to 40 minutes. The Australian Open is high on the agenda for everyone in the tennis world and the sporting world. It's the, it's the biggest thing that's going on at the moment, to be fair, isn't it? Uh, here's Ottawa with uh, an update. Right, 9.32 here on SENZ. And uh, as I mentioned, the Australian Open is... Big at the moment because it's nearing the end when the big prize money will be handed out and the trophies, of course. Uh, and uh, it was mentioned in the news by Araha, the dominating performance by Novak Djokovic. She beat to Andre Rublev, who everyone thought would be a genuine threat for him. He beat him 6-1, 6-2, 6-4, and now he's going to face uh, Tommy Paul in the semi-final. Second serve, Rublev will take this on the forehand. Backhand up the line by Djokovic. Forehand cross-court by Rublev up the line by Djokovic with the forehand. Back up the line with the backhand went Rublev. Now working the angles. Up the line, the accuracy again from Djokovic with the forehand into the corner for a clean winner, 30 love. So Djokovic now into the back end of uh, Rublev. Drop shot by Djokovic. He brings Rublev forward. Djokovic can go with the lob over the top. He's scampering back to the baseline. Rublev, he hooks it down the line, but uh, long. Djokovic. And there's the hold for Novak. 
What incredible scenes at Melbourne Park. Great return. It was a deep backhand there from Djokovic. We work up the middle. And it was a good deep return by Rublev because it brought about the backhand error. Get into his service motion. Out to the backhand of Djokovic. Cross-court backhand by Rublev. Trying to go line. Well wide off the Djokovic racket. So it's Rublev to 40 love. Takes it on the forehand, Djokovic. Oh, he's whipped a winner right up the middle. 40-15 for Andre Rublev. Out to the forehand of Djokovic. Off forehand by Rublev. Up the line, the backhand went to uh, uh, Djokovic. Rublev with a nice deep return to the forehand of Djokovic. who sent it back to Rublev, who couldn't make it over the net at the turtleneck. Uh, great slider serve out wide by Djokovic. Djokovic out wide for a clean ace. It's up to the backhand here of Rublev to the slice of Djokovic. Backhand cross court, Rublev into the net. Three match points for Novak Djokovic. Rublev just wants to hide under a rock right now. It's just been a tough night for Andre. As Djokovic will go out wide, the response is in there off the backhand by Rublev and then into the net. As Djokovic went to his forehand, Rublev with another unforced error. And tonight, Novak Djokovic has put on an incredible display yet again. Well, that's two in a row that dominant because he put away uh, Alex de Minola, the Australian hope as well, in straight sets very, very quickly. So uh, he's coming right at the right time if indeed there was anything wrong with him, and that's the key. This was uh, his reaction after the match. We were here two nights ago, and you said that that match two nights ago against Alex Dimonor was the best match you've played this year. Was this one even better? Uh, I would rank it as number two, uh, but very close to the performance of two nights ago. Um, yeah, I cannot be happier with my tennis, honestly. I've been playing very solid from, from back of the court and uh, really... Love, love playing in these conditions in this court. I've said it many times, you know, I, lo I love playing here. Definitely the most special court for me. How about the conditions tonight, which, which were a little different? You've played here just about as much as anyone. This is pretty breezy. I can feel it now. It's a lot of wind down here. How, how is that to play and did you have to make adjustments for this breeze? Yes, uh, you have to make adjustments and adapt to the, to the conditions, obviously. I, um, it wasn't as breezy, I think, around 6 o'clock when I was warming up. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden it just started at the beginning of the match, uh, especially from this end. You know, you have a strong wind in your back. Maybe for the people uh, watching on the stands or on TV, they don't, they don't see much of a difference. But for us players, it makes a huge difference. You know, the, uh, if you're playing on that end, you're playing with a lot of pressure and um, you have to kind of uh, pick and choose your shots, maybe open up the court a little bit more. Um, the ball toss is a little bit of a gamble from, from this side, but uh, you know, overall, um, I think that the score line in the first two sets doesn't speak the, the truth or the reality of the, of the match. Uh, you know, it was some, some really close games that we had. Um, Andre is a, is a great opponent. He's a great player. I have tons of respect for him. You know, one of the one of the biggest forehands, one of the quickest players on the tour. You know, I knew uh, what the game plan was. Obviously, you know, uh, one thing is to imagine how you want to play, and the other thing is to execute it on the court. But uh, I think uh, if I have to sum it up, all the important shots and important moments, uh, I found my best tennis. So that's that's what makes me, I guess, uh, the most pleased tonight.
We know coming into this tournament, there were some days when you weren't able to practice. You were resting and trying to protect your body. What has it been like for you routine-wise? How different have your days off been in this tournament than in past years here? Well, to be honest, I've been uh, connected uh, to machines more than I have been connected to, uh, to anybody else or my bed or anything else, really, in the days off. I've uh, tried about any, any biofeedback machine there is in this planet uh, in order to get my, my leg ready. And um, it worked. Um, I'm going to keep going. So, um, you know, I miss tennis on the days off, but at the same time, I think it's, it's important to uh, um, be smart and wise, I guess, with, uh, with the body in these particular circumstances where uh, it's more important to recover and, and get ready for next challenge. Yeah, so that was uh, Novak Djokovic talking to uh, Jim Courier uh, after the match there, and uh, you could hear the murmuring in the background when he started to talk about uh, the fact that he'd been connected to machines more so than his bed, etc. Uh, people still doubting him by the sounds of things in the crowd. They shouldn't, uh, really, um, because uh, he is absolutely on fire. And uh, Tommy Paul is his next opponent. Uh, Tommy Paul yesterday beat Ben Shelton in the Battle of the Americans. It was... Uh, tighter it was a tighter one it was uh, four sets and uh, this is Tommy Paul winning the match and uh, a short interview with, with him uh, after the result is in a major semi-final for the very first time in his career a sagacious performance from the 25 year old to cement his spot in the final four in Melbourne. Tommy, I get the feeling you've been waiting for this moment for a long time, eh? Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, this is my first time on this court. Obviously, uh, my first time in the quarterfinals of a slam. Uh, it's actually Ben Shelton's first time leaving uh, the States, so I think he had a pretty good trip as well. <laughs> I think you're underselling yourself. You're not just in a quarterfinal. You're a bit further than that now. Yeah, man. Uh, yesterday I was doing a couple interviews and they were asking how it felt to be in the quarterfinals. I was like, semifinals sounds a little better. So uh, pumped, to, pumped to be there. Um, and obviously uh, really excited for whoever I play on Friday. I mean, making it to the second weekend of a slam, that's... Uh, Every, everyone's dream when they start playing tennis, so I can't believe I'm here right now. Well done. Well, the uh, day before, of course, uh, the uh, other two semi-finalists were found, uh, first of which is uh, probably the guy that poses the biggest threat to, uh, to Djokovic winning, and, and that, of course, is uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas from Greece. Uh, he accounted for Jim Lasheka in uh, three sets, 6-3, 7-6, 6-4. Five one in the tiebreaker for a two sets to love lead. Stefanos Tsitsipas serving down the tee, backhand return floated up by Lehechka, and it's attacked by Stefanos Tsitsipas. The off forehand into the corner. Here's Tsitsipas onto the forehand he runs, hits that corner. What a winner from Stefanos Tsitsipas to claim the second set, bounding into his forehand wing, hitting it cross court, and finding the corner for a winner. An ace from Stefanos Tsitsipas, down the tee, out of the reach of Iri Lehechka. Slightly miss hit from Tsitsipas, now lunging to the forehand wing, dropped over the net by Lehechka. Tsitsipas gets there, drops it back over, backhand volley from Lehechka, hits the baseline, swiveling around Tsitsipas, and Lehechka with the worst frame of the night. 
shanks it high and into the crowd. He's dropped his racket like he was disappointed with it. Serving out wide, Lehechka, forehand to the baseline, then sits a pass on that cross-court forehand. Hits it behind Lehechka. Down the middle of the court now the Greek. Forehand hit with power by Lehechka. He's getting angry. Forehand up the line from Lehechka at the net. Now Lehechka is completely botched the drop over the net. He was hitting his ground strokes with authority from the baseline. Here Lehechka. Then as soon as he came to the net, he made the error. Tsitsipas serves to the forehand up the middle from Lehechka. Then the forehand down the line from Stefanos Tsitsipas. Lands in. It's a winner. A beautifully struck winner. Serving down the middle now, Lehechka. Backhand returned up the line from uh, Tsitsipas. Lehechka at the net again. And the overhead smash into the open side. So attacking the net more in this game here, Yuri Lehechka. Hit with some pace. And then the overhead smash from Lehechka into the open side for a winner. Serving out wide. Forehand up the middle. Lehechka comes to the net for the drop volley. Cross court backhand from Stefanov Tsitsipas. Passing shot cross court is a winner. And it brings up match point for Stefanos Tsitsipas. Forehand again up the middle of the court from Tsitsipas. Forehand up the middle from Lehechka. Cross court backhand. Tsitsipas. And Lehechka's backhand hits the net. And it will be a fourth semi final at the Australian Open for Stefanos Tsitsipas who wins yet another match at this tournament in straight sets. Yes, and to complete the, the men's side of things, uh, it was Karen Hushanoff uh, who defeated uh, Sebastian Korda. Uh, Korda was uh, forced out of the, the third set. He was three love down. I don't think there's any way back for him because he'd lost the first two sets, 7-6, 6-3, and uh, he looked uh, after a very slow start uh, as if he struggled to get up to the pace of uh, Hushanoff and his serve. Uh, he looks uh, a real... Uh, prospect is in the making. Uh, he'll place it surpass uh, in the final. But this is uh, where uh, Hashanov won the match. Okay, we don't have that audio for that one. So uh, we'll move on to the women's side of things. Uh, Victoria Azarenka uh, defeated uh, Jessica Pagula. Now, well, we spoke the other day uh, to Brett Phillips, who we'll be talking to after 10 again this morning, and he said uh, Jessica Pagula was perhaps. Uh, the best chance of going on to win the women's title with the, all the other seeds falling away one by one. Uh, she was uh, seeded number three, but in the end, absolutely no match for Azarenka, the veteran. Goes to the forehand of Azarenka, who rips it up the line. It is set up perfectly in the hitting zone, and Wushka was dug out by Azarenka, puts in the drop shot, Pagula brings Vika forward. She got some pretty good angle, but then the door was open. She tracked it down, Pagula. She was able to go up the line with the forehand. Now up the line by Pagula. Beautiful. Off forehand. Opened up the shoulders for a winner. Up the middle went Pagula. Up the middle with the backhand went Azarenka. Centrally they work. And then Pagula goes long off the forehand. Victoria Azarenka. Six games to four in the opening set. Azarenka takes the backhand. It was powerful too. Right into that forehand corner. But Pagula, the look says it all from Jess Pagula. We can tell you, folks, she is looking extremely frustrated. Candy Pagula, she's on the stretcher a couple of times. Big drive volley there at the net by Azarenka. Assertive, getting in, saves a break point. Backhand exchange, forehand cross court, great angle, great depth by Azarenka. The response was only just over the net by Pagula, and she was in Azarenka to put it away. Centrally, there will be more air in that one from Azarenka. Tries to flatten it out with the forehand. There's Pagula, and then Azarenka with a the depth again off the backhand, punched it down the middle. 
middle, floating the response back was Azarenka. Both hitting with depth. A bit more air in that one. It sits up for Bagula here. The forehand from Azarenka. She went deep into the backhand of Azarenka. She dug it out again. The drop shot from Bagula. Up the line by Azarenka. There wasn't enough on that drop shot from Bagula. But she's got all the answers. Unforced error number 30 for the match. And Victoria Azarenka is maybe moments away from making another Australian Open semi-final. Azarenka puts the serve into play as Pagula's forehand right on the baseline. Dug out by Azarenka coming forward. Pagula, can she pass Fika? Good volley. No, just wide by Pagula and Victoria Azarenka. Job well done. That is emphatic. A champion who might dream again to lift a Grand Slam trophy that many may have thought she couldn't achieve at this stage of her career and she's still in the hunt. Yep, well, she's uh, a definite uh, possibility now because now that she's got this far, you kind of think that her experience is going to be a major factor come the big stage. Uh, she will play uh, Elena Rybakina, who defeated uh, Helena Ostapenko, 6-2, 6-4. Uh, Magda, L- the, yeah, Magda Lynette yesterday beat uh, the more fancied Carolina Pliskova, 6-3-7-5, Lynette from uh, Poland. Um, and uh, Irina Sabalenka uh, defeated uh, Donna Vekic, and she will face uh, Magda Lynette, uh, the pole, in uh, the semi-final. She won 6-3, 6-2. So uh, they are the results of the quarterfinals, and uh, we shall talk about the semi-finals uh, with uh, our commentator, Brett Phillip after the break at 10 o'clock. Catch all the action from the Australian Tennis Open live every night on SENZ and 24-7 on the SENZ app. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the holder, know when the folder, Smithy's multi, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Tennis and uh, basketball will be on the agenda today, and it's the women's semi-finals. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, the two ladies whose flags they're not allowed to show, uh, Belarusians. So Victoria Izarenka to beat Robakina from Kazakhstan at $2.65. That would be the upset. That's the moneymaker in the multi. Um, Arena Sabalenka, who's highly favoured to beat Magda Lynette uh, from Poland at $1.22. I'll throw uh, uh, Sabalenka in as well. And uh, Doc Rivers, Philadelphia 76ers to beat the Brooklyn Nets at $1.47. Doc Rivers still there? He might have just moved on from the 76ers actually. A dollar forty-seven anyway. Uh, Four dollars seventy-five is the multi there. Four dollars seventy-five. Incidentally, the uh, latest PGA tournament uh, started uh, this uh, morning, New Zealand time. So uh, Danny Lee's playing in that. It's the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines. Uh, he's one under after five. The leader is uh, Ryder on seven under after fourteen. Brandon Steele six under after fourteen. Um, and then uh, you've got uh, the glamour pairing of uh, John Rahm. Tony Finau and uh, Justin Thomas are all under par as well. So, uh, low, well, I didn't say low scoring, seven under, but uh, interesting conditions there. It's 9.53 here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. We have- 
is a definite Australian theme to the music on the show and the show itself because we're very heavily focusing on the Australian Open at the moment because we're down to the semi-finals, just four remain in the men's and women's draw with a chance to win the first Grand Slam of 2023. Suspicion still surrounds Novak Djokovic's injury status, but once again, he looked in really hot form as he punched his way through to the semi-finals in straight sets against the fifth-seeded Andre Rublev, and today is Australia Day across the ditch, so it's a, a big welcome back to the show for Brett Phillips, of course, SEN tennis commentator, and it's a happy Australia Day to you, sir. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, good morning. Um, a day off for, uh, yeah, plenty, <laughs> but uh, we'll keep uh, keep soldiering on at the tennis, um, which we uh, which we love. We'd have it no other way, so... Yeah, looking forward to the business end of the tournament. Uh, semis for the women tonight. Semis have been decided, as you mentioned there, for the men. So, yeah, we're getting right down to the uh, right down to the business end. So, okay, so a lot of focus uh, clearly, uh, uh, Brett, is on Novak Djokovic for a number of reasons. One, his amazing record there. Can he continue it? Two, uh, the injury cloud, and he always attracts attention, uh, regardless of what he does. It seems. Uh, but just two hours to dispatch um, a player that um, you in particular noted the other day you thought was a genuine contender in Andre Rublev, and he minced him. Well, he looks fine to me, uh, Ian. So I think um, it's going to take a miracle for anyone to beat Djokovic uh, from here. And, you know, his last two uh, performances have been simply sublime. You know, he's, he wiped the floor with Alex Dimonor. Early break against Rublev last night, and and the look on Rublev's face, you know, only a handful of games into that first set, sort of told the story. He just knew what sort of night he was in for. You know, how do I crack Novak? And uh, you know, Rublev doesn't really have a plan B. Doesn't have a lot of variance in his game. He'll just try to hit harder. Uh, but when you're playing Novak, who's uh, just playing with that incredible depth and accuracy, it just forces you to overplay, and then one error becomes two, becomes three, and the frustration sets in. So Tommy Paul has never played Novak before, so at least he hasn't got any scars from any past mm. meetings. He's obviously well aware that this is going to be a huge task for him, but, you know, he's a he's a player who was a terrific junior, um, was actually really leading that American pack when he was much younger, and then they all overtook him, and now he's catching up, <clears throat> and a very good coach. You know, a very good coach in Brad Stein has got two days to think of a game plan of how... To unrattle uh, Djokovic because even if he is 95 percent I mean he's, his movement is still incredible on a hard court so it's almost you know I mean it's a fait accompli what's going to happen we can see the script unless you know unless uh, he has a total meltdown Djokovic which at this stage of a tournament he just doesn't he doesn't lose semi-finals or finals at the Australian Open it's as simple as that I suppose, Brett, uh, if there is any truth to um, the fact that he's been on machines all night uh, trying to remain relatively fit or as fit as he can be, I suppose there is an outside chance if someone like a Tommy Paul, who's a young man, can push him deep into the match, if he can get him past into the deep into the fourth set, the fifth set, uh, then the body might be under a bit more pressure than it has been in the last two matches. That might be a, an opening for him. Yeah, look, no, no doubt. I mean, that, that's what we'd probably be fascinated to see if Djokovic was stretched to four or five sets. But yeah, these these guys have got to they've got to come out of the blocks. Um, you know, I mean, they, not that they are not champion at the bid, and you know, they're they're ready to go. They want to take on Djokovic, but it's almost like he just in the blink of an eye <clears throat> snuffs you out in the first, you know, three or four games. He gets that early break, and you can't peg him back. So. 
you know, unless you get that first set, you're just up against it all the time. He's just a great front runner, Djokovic. Uh, he rarely gets beaten. So, yeah, it's, it's just a difficult assignment. Uh, it's as simple as that. And, um, you know, the way he's serving, the way he's off the ground, the way he redirects the ball, uh, he, he just makes life uh, a nightmare at that hard court. And yeah, it can be a pretty lonely place. But anyway, we'll wait and see. I mean, I'm all for the underdog in sport. Um, mm. You know, we want to see these guys really take him on. If he's still to win the Australian Open, it'd be great to see someone really push him to the limits to win. Uh, but he's, sort of, he's looking fairly invincible right now. The other semi-final uh, in the men's side of things, of course, is Stefano Tsitsipas. Uh, he's the highest remaining seed, actually, as uh, number three. Uh, he uh, accounted for Yannick Sinner the other day. It was uh, into five sets. That was his biggest challenge. But he's up against uh, a fellow with a very big serve. He's a big man and Karen Hushinoff, who accounted for TFO. And, and then, of course, he put Sebastian Corder away quite simply, too. He's playing uh, great tennis. I mean, he's backed up from New York last year where he made a semi-final. So, you know, many people have always thought this is where Hutchinov uh, should be uh, for the, the type of game and the type of uh, athlete that he is. Um, you know, for whatever reason, you know, players with a little bit more variety have uh, been able to overtake him the last uh, few years. So that's, you know, it's a tough matchup for Sitsipas. Uh but, you know, Stephanos has played great tennis in this tournament. I just think he's probably going to be a bit too dynamic, but what he can do with the ball and he's, uh, he's rushing at the net, um, you know, he's got a great wingspan there. So I just think, you know, he he's probably got more tools that allow him to win. Does he have a realistic chance against Djokovic if that's the matchup in the final? Look, he'll probably have a crowd on his side. I think, um, you know, the Greek support he'll get, although, you know, the Serbians do support Novak Djokovic. I mean, that would be the best atmosphere on Rod Laver Arena if those two did match up. Um, the both supporter bases have been here in big numbers in this tournament, and you know could could um, you know the crowd factor help you know City pass if he wins them over, which you know he has been able to do uh, right throughout this tournament. So um, yeah, it's you know probably time for Steph to step up uh, this year and and claim one of the majors, but it's still difficult when you got Djokovic so dominant on a hard court and a grass court and Rafa on a on a clay court. Uh, that's that's still the mm. challenge for these guys. Women's side of the draw is uh, interesting in that, uh, basically, uh, apart from uh, Irina Sabalenka, who uh, is the fifth seed, uh, the rest of the names went pretty early on in the piece. You recommended that perhaps that Pagula might be the one to beat, uh, but uh, she was absolutely no match in her quarterfinal. So uh, here we go. Uh, we're looking at uh, Irina Sabalenka uh, up against uh, Magda Lynette from Poland. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been pretty bullish about Sabalenka um, the last uh, fortnight. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, I think you know, it's hers to lose in, in a sense because of you know, the way she has uh, stepped up with her serve uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the double fault numbers. Although there was a few more in the last game, but, I mean, she, you know, still wiped the floor three and two there with Donna Vekic so she could afford a few extra double faults uh, because she won the grand battle so convincingly. And I just think mentally she's in a really good place because uh, she can be a bit volatile, but she seems to have the emotions under control. So I think she brings the fairy tale run to an end of uh, Magda Lynette. And the other one's a really tough one to call. It should be a great matchup. I mean, Roy Buckin is all that firepower, and, and Vika's going to try and sort of counter that and you know just use her really good smarts in on the tennis court to mix things up. 
uh, still still a good ball striker, uh, but not getting the same you know winner speed as what Arai Buckner would. So she's got to play a different type of game as Arinka. But her returning uh, the other night, I was just watching her against Pagula, I and mean, she just got herself into a great spot. She anticipated, read the serve well, and she was getting that first strike back up the middle of the court, and immediately you're under a bit of pressure in your service games. That's what she's got to try and do, although she's dealing with a, a bigger server tonight in Rye Buckner, who will make that assignment a little bit more difficult. I was reading this morning um, a story of a, a protest overnight, uh, some sort of protest involving the Russian flag and Putin, etc. was put to bed pretty quickly, was it? Yeah, I think so. I, look, I, I left after the Djokovic match and I, I saw there was quite a few Serbian fans around who, look, they, they, they were fine, they were just happy and great atmosphere, singing and everything else. I didn't see anything to myself until I probably got home. I saw a little bit on social media Um but uh, yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's sort of been diffused, and, and it's interesting. There's been a lot of talk about Australia Day today. What are what are people allowed to bring into the tennis, and will there be um, yeah anyone uh, coming in wearing t-shirts or flags? I mean, there's all these sorts of rules. Some I think are a little bit over the top, but um, yeah, I think. Uh, We'll see if anything is disruptive in the last few days of the tournament where people sometimes use the Australian Open to make a statement about a cause. I think, you know, if I think back the last few years, we've had an interruption of some sort on Rod Laver Arena, which uh, is hard to control, uh, you know, for security. They're doing their their level best, but someone will always possibly sneak through and uh, do something untoward. But we'll, yeah, hopefully have that all in check. Australia does still have uh, some interest in the tournament, of course, um, with uh, the men's doubles team, uh, Kubler and Hijikata. Great win yesterday, knocking off uh, the top seeds and the, and the most successful doubles pairing of last year, Wesley Kuloff of the Netherlands and Neil Skupski of GB. So, yeah, they played dynamic tennis. Uh, great synergy right throughout the tournament. Uh, there's something about men's doubles at the Australian Open after Kokonakis and Kyrgios last year. It was the All-Australian finals, mm. we know, playing Ebden and Purcell. So, yeah, I wouldn't put it past these boys um, to uh, maybe go all the way. Uh, they're playing Granolas and Zabias in the semi, Spanish-Argentinian pair who have got plenty of experience in, in doubles and gone deep into slams. Uh, but, yeah, Rinky and Jason will have the crowd behind them. Uh, they're two terrific young guys, good singles careers ahead of them, and uh, they've combined beautifully in the dubs. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's good. We've, got, we've still got something left, Ian, which is nice. What, what about your commitments uh, over the next uh, two or three days? What, what matches are you calling? Yeah, we'll continue to call, um, obviously, the semis tonight, back-to-back. Uh, -back. So myself and Jordan Canellis will be calling the semis and then uh, yeah the men's semis will be split what across the day and night tomorrow so we'll be right across that and uh yeah women's final and men's final saturday sunday night so we'll bring that to everyone on uh, SCNZ and looking forward to it uh is you know if i think back to last year with Barty, it was probably my most enjoyable night sitting in the box and i, I love the interaction mm -hmm. from our listeners as well it's a great part about radio there's a lot of people out there who are not near a tv set and the radio um, can bring them inside Rod Laver Arena, wherever they might be. So, uh, yeah, we, we're hoping for a, a terrific finish. Not an Aussie victory in the singles, but, yeah, I think we'll get uh, we'll get a couple of cracking finals, however it looks. How, how do you prepare for, you know, semi-finals of Grand Slams and finals? Uh, you know, is it does it you take it up a notch? I mean, do you work your way through the fortnight like the players, or <laughs> you take each match as it comes as such? Yeah, I think you're just in the zone of each uh, each match and, you know, as, as you know, with the radio medium, um, 
you know, you, you're really trying to take people and paint a picture. And, you know, I've been really lucky the last fortnight to have uh, some great tennis minds alongside me, um, you know, either ex-players or, you know, journalist broadcasters who live and breathe the sport pretty much uh, 12 months of the year. So their insights are, are valuable. I enjoy, um, you know, picking the brain of them and, and their many thoughts on the tour because it is such a, a big sport to cover. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, you know, just the focus and, the concentration, the adrenaline just sort of pumps through, uh, Ian, uh, through not much sleep uh, the last uh, fortnight. But, <laughs> yeah, it, it's great fun. You know, I think uh, tennis on the radio is an interesting sport to try and call and describe and take people inside. And, yeah, we try and have a little bit of fun as well. And and we, and we love the input because, you know, the, the listeners out there, and I encourage anyone, you know, listening to your show today, uh, you know, joining the discussion with us, throw your views in and, and you, we've got some great names in the box who you can pick the brain of, uh, you know, including Mark Woodford last night. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll mm. go again tonight, all the way through to Sunday. Well, you're portraying it uh, brilliantly from uh, our perspective. Uh, long may that uh, continue. Uh, all the best with your calls over the next uh, three or four days, uh, Brett. And uh, thanks again for your time this morning. Uh, most most valuable to us. Pleasure, Ian. Talk soon. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Brett Phillips here, of course. Uh, he's uh, doing the, the commentary duties on behalf of SEN um, in terms of uh, the Australian Open. And uh, yes, uh, it's uh, getting to that point uh, <coughs> where uh, it's almost becoming uh, predictable, particularly on the men's side of things. And uh, I, I think really for Tommy Paul or whoever tries to beat uh, Novak Djokovic, they've got to test this injury theory. Uh, and by that I mean they've got to make sure that he is stressed and strained, the rallies are long, um, you know, he's reaching a wee bit more, which always puts pressure on a hamstring. Little things like that, if they can manage to get some sort of parity in, in those long rallies and force them long, uh, that's when you might uh, see the trainer come out or the pressure go on Novak Djokovic because it appears at this stage only this uh, injury, I say in inverted commas, um, is the thing that's likely to beat him. Uh, he's just playing so well. Uh, 10.18 here on SENZ, and we'll have a panel next. You succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Stuff reporter David Long is uh, with us uh, this morning, along with uh, Brendan Bradford from uh, Code Sports. And uh, my understanding is that, that David Long is at Warriors practice uh, as we speak, uh, just having a look at uh, things uh, panning out there. Uh, David, which brings me to uh, an interesting point. Uh, you won't be watching Taniella Otokolo at training because he's walked out on the club. Can you please explain what had happened there? <laughs> yeah, hi there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, Taniella's not here. Um, Yes, so it's a bit of a, an odd one. This he, um, he he's always sort of talked about as um, you know a future guys inspired the Warriors, and he was sort of owned the, the number nine jersey at the club for a few years. Um, but I, what I heard, he was got a bit um, disappointed last year when the, they brought in Freddie Lussick from the Roosters um, to be the sort of backup number two for Wade Egan, and he sort of dropped down to number three in a pecking order. Um, and then I think he felt the situation was going to be the same this year. And so he went to the club recently and said, uh, I want a release. And um, they were a bit surprised, but he, he, he wants to go. They, he told the club that he didn't want to play footy anymore. Um, but I understand he's, going to, he's, he's moving back to Brisbane to play in the Queensland Cup. Um, he's, I heard he's got a, a partner over there um, that he met during the time when the Warriors are based 
at Redcliffe. So um, I think that might have something to do with the reason as well. But yeah, it's surprising that um, he decided that he no longer wanted to be a part of the Warriors. Well, please tell us uh, that's the only pre-season casualty. There's no other rumours uh, uh, floating around, is there? Uh, not about anybody else leaving, no, no. Um, I think the squad's out, um, so in terms of anybody leaving, but they still, they have got four spots uh, uh, on the roster now available um, for, 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 for this year, sorry. I have heard, actually, that um, three of the younger guys who are in the New South Wales Cup team which is the reserve grade, I've been told um, you can train with us um, with the NRL, NRL team for the next few weeks and see how it goes. So they could be looking to promote within. Uh, um, I understand that's what they want to do. They don't want to be, they, you know, for the past two years, for reasons, they've um, had to get Australian players in because they've had no reserve grade or no, no junior team because of COVID. Um, and now, they, now that they're back, they want to sort of be a club that, Promotes from within again now. So um, a few guys there, they, they've, they've now said this is a trial and see how you get on. Um, but they are also looking for another prop. They, they desperately need another uh, big middle forward before the before the season starts. Okay, right. Uh, Brendan Cole is uh, Brendan Cole. Brendan Bradford from Code Sports. It was a misread. Sorry, uh, Brendan. Um, I've got to uh, bring you in on rugby if I can uh, because. Uh, uh, Stephen Moore, now often when you hear uh, former Wallabies hookers um, talking uh, or moaning about things, it's usually Phil Kearns, but here we have uh, <laughs> Stephen Moore coming out and saying uh, there's a lack of vision in rugby's leaders. Um, what is he meaning by that? Yeah, he's, he's actually, like you say, usually when you hear former Wallabies, former Wallabies captains come out and speak in the media, it's pretty hot air and bluster, especially over the past sort of 10 or 15 years. But Stephen Moore... Uh, I spoke to him last week. He just he made some really uh, decent points and really level-headed points about there's so many underlying issues with Rugby Australia, with the Wallabies, with the game more generally um, over here in Australia. And you know, they look that to be honest, they haven't uh, set the world on fire at all over the past decade or so. And um, I think his point was, you know, they 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 sacked Dave Rennie, um, they've hired Eddie Jones, and there's a bit of positivity around it, but it just seems like more of the same. They're, they're dealing with this top-end stuff, but not really addressing the, the underlying issues that are causing, uh, that have caused such a, a steep drop-off for Rugby Australia and for the Wallabies over the past sort of 20 years. And that goes right down to the, the grassroots, to, to Super Rugby expansion. Um, almost He's almost getting into sort of jobs for the boys' territory as well. So um, it's, a, it's a really you know well-thought-out and, and reasoned um, critique. It's not all... Yeah, hot air and, and bluster like you see on, on you know, from some guys. But, uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's certainly created a, a few talking points for the game over in Australia. Brendan, one of the other talking points around the world of rugby, of course, is the, the tackle height now um, at, at various levels of rugby. But it seems uh, from Rugby Australia they don't have uh, any plans at all in this direction. No, nothing at all. I think they've got... Uh, yeah, like I guess going back to what Steve said, it, it, they've got a few few issues they need to uh, clean up in house rather than than focusing on that. I saw yeah the, the English and and some of the Irish rugby unions over the last couple of days trying to address the tackle height issue and hey, look that that honestly that one seems like it's just going to continue being being an issue, being a talking point um, for as long as the game's played. I mean, um, you can, I could sort of see both sides of it. You get you. 
you want to make the game as safe as possible and make it, um, you know, you, you want kids to be able to play it and want parents to be able to put their kids into the sport knowing that they're going to be safe. But, you know, on the other side of it, occasionally, you know, accidents do happen and that's 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 the thing with contact sports. So there's there's probably a middle ground there where, where you've got to, you know, find the way forward. But, um, yeah, certainly when it comes to Australian rugby, um, they got they've got a lot of issues on their plate, and um, no, this one hasn't come up yet over here. Okay, right, uh, David Long uh, with us, and uh, Brendan Bradford uh, from uh, Code Sports. Uh, they'll uh, continue to be with us. We'll take a short break uh, for an update with Araha, and when we come back, uh, some more rugby league to talk about, a bit of cricket, a bit of uh, netball as well. Big talk, big opinions. The panel. So Brendan Bradford is with us from Code Sport. Uh, Brendan is a Kiwi and, of course, uh, at this stage living and working in Australia. David Long, of course, uh, well-known stuff uh, journalist, is with us as well. And, uh, fellas, I'd like to continue um, on the rugby league theme, if I could. Uh, David, uh, there's uh, been some fairly high-powered squads named for these uh, matches that are supposedly taking part uh, in Rotorua uh, on Saturday the 11th of February. You look at uh, Amari Superstars, Outfit which includes Joseph Manu, James Fisher Harris, Joseph Tapani, Jared Wairia Hargraves up against the Indigenous All Stars, including Latrell Mitchell, Josh Addo Carr, Nico Hines, uh, Selwyn Cobbo. Now, those are names that will attract um, anyone um, in, in terms of the men's match. Of course, there's the, the women's game as well, uh, featuring um, Maori stars, including Kennedy Cherrington and Zahara Tamara, uh, Olivia Kiernick, uh, and uh, the indigenous, indigenous side has Shaley Bent. Caitlin Johnson and Jamie Chapman. Now, these are all high-profile players, of course, David, but the, I think the big question, Mark, is with what's going on at the NRL, uh, will these matches happen? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, I did a bit of digging around in this actually yesterday, and at the moment, the games are going on. Um, the uh, Rugby League Players Association in Australia, they're sort of leaving it for the players to decide you know, what sort of action they want to take, and... I guess there'll be some discussions among some leading players um, over the next um, week about whether they wanted to take part in or not. I think one of the things, one of the factors is that, um, um, which is different to other sort of um, protests that the players have got going at the moment, over not doing media or not doing anything to do at all with the, the NRL media, media side of it, is um, that this, this, these games mean an awful lot to the players, the chance to to represent, you know, your the, the Maori culture or the Indigenous culture um, goes beyond just playing any other pre-season game or any other game for money. So that might be a factor in why they might might want to play, um, and that that might that's made me think perhaps it will go ahead. Um, I think the other issue is with the with the women's players over the, they still don't have a, a collective bargaining agreement um, for them, and so that. Um, so while the NRL say that they are, they have some insurance for the games. Um, uh, there's no private insurance um, for them, and unlike um, in the men's NRL, where players have you know signed contracts for two or three years, 99% of the players in their NRLW is just one year by year contract. So, but most of them, it, they you know they, they don't have a contract for the end of the year. And if they did pick it up an injury, it's the the PA are still unsure about what they'll be covered for and whether they would cover work, uh, sorry, their, their contracts if they were to get one next year or, or whatever, really. So it's, it's a bit of a mess. Um, and we'll, I guess, know over the next week what, what's going to happen. 
It's an interesting one for me, this, uh, Brendan, because this is a very high-profile um, event coming off on February the 11th because of uh, the Indigenous side of it as well. But if the players involved, and let's uh, not forget that the NRL um, have jurisdiction over this game, if the players wanted to make a statement and not turn up, that would illustrate just how serious they are about these uh, these claims they're trying to make. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one with, like, I think if it was... Um, like just a trial match or just a preseason game without the, if it wasn't, a, you know, an Indigenous versus Māori All-Stars game, I think a lot of these players might take that option. But um, I've spoken to so many, particularly of the, particularly the, uh, the women's players who um, hold this game in such high regard. Um, I did an interview with Botil Vetti Welch last year, who um, she's not playing this year. She suffered an ACL injury midway through last season, but. Uh, she was born and raised in far uh, Northland in New Zealand, moved to Australia when she was about 12 or 13. So she plays for, a, she represents sort of test ma- uh, on test match level, she plays for Australia. But uh, when she when she plays in this match, she's really representing her culture, her family, her identity. Um, and as she was, you know, she was just sort of explaining in a way that it, it means so much more. On, it's, it's just on a different level. Um, so at the end of the day, it's it's a really tough decision some of these players are making, um, you know, whether to risk injury, training and playing, um, but also really wanting to represent their culture. Um, it's a it's a really tough one. I don't think, I mean, I know Tamika Upton has, has pulled out just over fears of, of injury. Racine McGregor suffered an MCL injury a couple of days ago. So um it's a really interesting one but i i think yeah i think more players will play but i think if it was uh yeah if it was a different kind of all-star setup or if it was just a pre-season match you'll probably see a few more withdrawals than you would okay interesting um well i I, i'm just gonna play the waiting game on this one uh because uh, at some point um both sides are going to play some very hard ball leading into the nrl and I, I just wonder whether they might use this game as a bit of a vehicle for that. Uh, it's a bit of a standoff at the moment. Uh, netball, uh, David Long. Uh, overnight, uh, New Zealand uh, blew out against Australia again. They had a poor third quarter by the sounds of things. Uh, lost 56-50. Uh, a lot of um, encouraging thoughts uh, coming from some of the players about uh, how they're developing along. But is it, is it just me or is there a pattern of having very poor quarters in this team? That's right, it has been during this this quad series as well. You mentioned the third quarter today, and you think back to the earlier game against Australia when they're up by eight um, in the second quarter, and it's not often you see the Silver Ferns up by eight against Australia early in the game, but then they blew that one as well. Um, I think you've got to sort of, I guess, in some ways take take uh, this tournament on for what it is and how Nolan Terrell is treating it, which is as a warm-up for the World Cup, because... If you win the World Cup, then this is forgotten about. And you can see with, um, particularly in the earlier game against Australia, where she changed five of the team at half-time, um, you know, that's, that's her mentality. However, you know, to, to lose again to Australia like this, it, it's slightly concerning. And I guess it does sort of point to the fact that they probably are the second-best team in the world. Um, but you've just got to, I guess, see how things develop over the next the next few months. I, I certainly, you have to say, um, the way Australia playing at the moment, there's, there's definitely distance between the two teams. Right. Um, Brendan, uh, just looking at some cricket now, um, Australia's in pretty good shape, I feel, anyway, having just uh, worked over there for a, a few weeks. Uh, I think they're in pretty good nick heading towards uh, 
uh, and therefore the Border Gavaska Trophy, which is very, very high profile, of course. It means a lot to both countries. Um, but not, uh, I think, uh, you wouldn't be saying too much about uh, our backup bowling unit anyway. Um, they just unable, it seems, to uh, contain a very strong Indian side. Do you read anything into that? Are you, are you worried at all from that side of the Tasman looking back towards the Black Caps? Ordinarily, I'd be very worried. But um, just, you know, if you take a sort of a big picture, I, I get taking a, a couple of these untested guys over to India, getting some experience in the conditions leading into the World Cup. Um, well, you know, while while Saudi Bolton and and guys like that either you know, apply their trade in in T20s or, or arrested for the the series uh, before the World Cup, um, I, I'd actually look at the batting a little bit. <laughs> um, you, yeah. you got some high powered, uh, you know, big name established stars in that batting lineup, and so far, apart from that that sort of first uh, the first match, um, a little bit underperforming. But yeah, I I, I don't think. Um, you like you mentioned, it's a massive year for for Australian cricket with uh, a couple of big, huge, actually, um, test tours. But uh, for New Zealand, I think <clears throat> this this tour of India is, is more of a uh, you know feeling out process, getting guys used to the conditions, getting guys in the setup, uh, you know, looking ahead long long term towards uh, towards the World Cup and and, and other tours like that. Uh, David, you are you at all concerned? Uh, I mean. Uh, my, from my point of view, I find it a little bit unusual that uh, when you're going to go to a country and play in a, a World Cup, uh, you don't take key players, you, you rest them for a series at home, and, and your head coach himself uh, doesn't go either. Um, I know they've all had uh, quite a lot of experience in Indian conditions, etc., but I just wonder in terms of a side that's not performing that well all of a sudden and needs some grunt, um, whether that's a bit of a risk, not taking your big boys. Yes, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, if you think back to what we had to report with the Silver Ferns about how Nelly Taro was treated with the Bosch series as a Jesse Hassel, obviously, it's a condition factor in netball that there is in cricket. But yeah, you would have thought maybe that you'd be sort of trying to keep this as a dry run for the World Cup and have some of the more experienced guys over there. I think it's a bit worrying about how the bonus. having trouble there with uh, David's line I'm, I'm not quite sure whether um, he's at the bottom of uh, a ruck situation at Warriors training or it sounds a wee bit like it, he was uh, struggling a wee bit there but uh, we've uh, pretty much uh, come to the end of it anyway, it's uh, 10.43 here on SENZ so uh, my thanks to, to David Long who we just uh, lost contact with at the end and uh, Brenton uh, Bradford first time I've talked to Brendan so uh, really enjoyed that and uh, we'll do that again very shortly I'm sure uh, another panel tomorrow morning uh, around about the same time. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, take a short break. And uh, when we come back, um, we shall have a pacing for purpose horse for you. It's with Ian Smith on SCNZ. It's Harness Racing New Zealand Pacing for Purpose Season 2. Yes, indeed. And our uh, Women's Refuge Fund is... Uh, Benefited by $607.50 at this stage. None of us uh, across the shows 
uh, had a winner last week, uh, so we'll all hope to do better this week for our respective charities. Uh, we've got uh, one running around at 7.22 uh, tomorrow night at Addington. It's race five, number six, Ted's Legacy. It's been very consistent and dogged of late. Uh, can win this and is due. So Ted's Legacy, race five, uh, number six at Addington tomorrow night at 7.22. Mentioned before that uh, the Farmers Insurance Open is in round one at Torrey Pines. Sam Ryder from America, Brendan Steele from America, uh, Andrew Novak um, and Sam Stevens uh, lead the way at the top of the leaderboard. And uh, Jason Day, the Australian, is the first of the non-Americans to, to break the run that they've got. They dominate the leaderboard at the moment. And our very own Danny Lee, after nine holes, is uh, one under the card. One under the card. Uh, right, so we've got racing at uh, Hastings today. Uh, we'll talk to Louis Herman Watt very shortly uh, about prospects. Uh, he might just have a winner or two for us as well. We'll see if the locals can uh, pick one or two up as well. And also uh, we shall be talking to uh, Pip Morris, hopefully. Uh, there are greyhounds on and some sports betting to be had. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Louis Herman Watt joins us uh, at 10.55. We're about 47 minutes away from the first race at Hastings. It's a good forward track. Uh, weather uh, absolutely beautiful, Louis. And a, uh, what, we've got a 10 race card finishing around 5 o'clock tonight. So uh, some good runners in. Yeah, that's right, Smithy. It's a um, a nice race meet there at Hastings today, and I think there are a couple of horses that have kind of shown themselves in the market already across the card that give you the lead on where they're going. One would be race three, Whiskey Neat, OP Rides. Whiskey Neat, I reckon for a period of time, Whiskey Neat, oh, I think I've got the right horse. Maybe was going to be a Karakamilia favourite favourite a few years ago. He's since gone and raced in Hong Kong. He's had 43 starts, just the two wins for eight seconds, and the market kind of tells you everything you need to know here. $6 into 320 for Tony Pike, so uh, when they've got Pat and another horse in the same race. So that's one to follow. Um, and in race number seven, there's a horse called ooh, Seven, maybe race eight, Financer. Uh, here we go, Financer for Opie Boston and Stephen Marsh. So I think Opie's going to have a big day. That one really well on debut, did Financer in race eight. Uh, I think the $2.70 shopping now, you've lost a dollar, but I can imagine this horse being backed and backed throughout the day. But my best of the day, Smithy, uh, the one that I want to be backing is race six, number 10, Diva Dynasty. And I'm happy to see a bit of market support now. $4 into three sixty, $1.65 a place. She should have won a. She should have broken her maiden by now. Um, she's been unlucky two starts back to the races, and if Sam Weatherly can just get her out from that wide draw, just have one crack at them down the outside of that beautiful Hastings track, I think she'll be going past them. That's race number six, number ten, Diva Dynasty. We'll catch up with you tomorrow, Louis, uh, if we can, because uh, it's Wellington Cup weekend, so we better have a chat about that uh, tomorrow, eh? Yeah, for sure. The uh, Mr. Sharrick's got a mortgage on it, doesn't he? Yeah, it looks like it. It looks like it. Um, yeah, he'll be uh, expecting big things out of his team down there. There's no doubt about it. Louis Herman Watt uh, with us there, uh, with his feet up for the afternoon, hopefully. Uh, but always working uh, is uh, Paul Mawati. Uh, Paul, uh, thanks very much for joining us um, on this uh, Thursday morning. 
Uh, Australian Open is still pretty much top of the agenda in terms of the sports betting, but it has to be said, uh, what Djokovic at 117, he's really only multi-value, isn't he? Yeah, he uh, situates in terms of punters' interest, a number of multi-tickets with Novak Djokovic on there to win the Australian Open. On the women's side, it's a wee bit more open. Um, Victoria Azarenka, uh, a former winner, uh, but is an outsider in her semi-final against Elena Rybakina. Um, and the punters are saying that this is where her march stops. They've backed Rybakina at the $1.45 in that semi-final uh, to beat Victoria Azarenka. Also got the NFL playoffs on uh, this weekend, Smitty, with the Eagles taking on the 49ers in the NFC Championship game and the Chiefs taking on the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. Uh, in terms of the NFC, it's fairly even uh, betting uh, both the Eagles and the 49ers, but punters have said the Bengals will be heading to their second straight Super Bowl. They've backed the Bengals. 90% of turnover in that head-to-head market on Cincinnati to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, who are currently $1.87. Yeah, I think, Paul, there's a big injury cloud over Mahomes, isn't it? And Joe Burrow, at the moment, the Bengals quarterback is uh, on fire. So we'll keep an eye out for that market. Paul Mawadi there from the TAB. And the injury to Patrick Mahomes, who's got an upper ankle sprain. Um, but he says he's determined to play. Uh, how fit will he be? Because uh, when he is fully fit, his legs are a big asset to his game. Right, uh, after the break, we shall be going to uh, New Zealand Bloodstock, uh, the officers there, and be talking uh, in depth about what's coming up to Kane Jones, the Caracas sales just around the corner. in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. We've had uh, an Australian theme to the music this morning. Uh, you might have uh, picked that up. The lads have been strong on Australia Day today. Um, so uh, they're celebrating that over there. And uh, on that theme, uh, there'll be a lot of Australians heading in this direction um, now and towards the end of this week because uh, Karaka is back for 2023. And this year's yearling sales are on beginning this Sunday at the Karaka Sales Centre uh, with uh, book one going under the hammer from 11 o'clock. International buyers uh, back in the country. It's shaping to be a great week for the industry with all yearlings purchased. Eligible for the lucrative Caraca Millions races, of course, which were last weekend. 
Now, a man very close to the action, uh, Kane Jones from uh, New Zealand Bloodstock, joins us to talk uh, a wee bit more about this year's edition. Kane, uh, thanks for your time this morning. Uh, normally, this um, really does coincide with Karaka Millions. This time, uh, they're a week apart. What was the reasoning for that this year? Yeah, morning, Smithy. It's a pleasure to be on the show, first of all. Um, it, was, it was a little bit different this year. We were away from Ellerslie. As we know, they're, um, they're um, undergoing a massive track um, upgrade and renovation, which is um, something we're all looking forward to, and, and just a little bit of a scheduling thing as well. So um, we've already enjoyed the Karakamillion uh, race night at Pukekohe and uh, taken out by Tokyo Tycoon, and, and the three-year-old taken out by, uh, by Pro S. So a couple of really good results for Tiakio and for the King's Clear Stable, and uh, some very happy owners looking to reinvest uh, on Sunday and, and into the week. And interesting too, uh, and uh, as a result, of course, those sales, um, those horses are eligible because they're bought at your sale for those particular races. Uh, one owned by um, a syndicate of payers, uh, people in, in uh, Tokyo Tycoon, and the other uh, owned by an individual in Prowess. So um, it, it just shows the spectrum of horse ownership, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and as we keep saying, every horse that, that goes through the ring uh, at the Karaka sale is eligible to be uh, entered in the series. Um, and so it's, a, it's just an amazing uh, series and, and, and such a, a quick um, opportunity to, to return your investment. Uh, the two-year-olds were racing uh, for that million-dollar race less than a year ago, uh, less than a year that they were purchased, and, and the three-year-olds uh, two years. So to be racing for a million dollars in uh, two races on the night is, is just quite phenomenal. Okay, yeah, Kane, can you um, illust- uh, illustrate for us uh, w- how the week shapes up in terms of your catalogues? Yeah, so we've got, you, you were spot on earlier, we, we kick off book one on Sunday at 11am and, and we sell for three days uh, in book one, Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. And then we roll straight into book two on uh, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. So it's a, a big six days of selling. We've got uh, about 1,100 horses to go through the ring. Um, and, and as you mentioned, it's the first time in three years that we've been welcoming or we're able to welcome our international guests back. So just a massive buzz around the grounds and, and, and it sort of feels like a big family reunion. We're, we're welcoming all our friends back from Australia and, and further afield as well, right through Asia and, uh, and through America. And uh, we're just we're buzzing and we, we're so happy to have them back. I was going to say, that means a lot of hospitality on, on your behalf. Yeah, it certainly does. Well, we're very lucky and uh, fortunate to have the, the beautiful new uh, Double Tree by Hilton Karaka Hotel here on site now. Uh, and I can tell you that's been full for a long time now. It's been totally booked out. Uh, it's absolutely heaving. Uh, the restaurant and bar is, uh, is packed out every night, and then it's just such an amazing asset to have. But um, all the vendors uh, love to have their own little hospitality, so you can you can get some nice uh, anywhere from ni- a nice breakfast at Curramore to a, a beautiful lunch at... Uh, at Trelawney or Pincaro or, or Waikato Stud and then maybe finish off with a beer or an ice cream somewhere. I know uh, Little Avondale and, and Windsor Park are doing very, very good beers. I can uh, I can give you the tip. <laughs> that's great. I mean, it's, it's one of the highlights of the whole thing. Wooing buyers. I mean, that, that's the nature of the game. And uh, who are some of the big players coming in from overseas that we haven't seen on our shores lately? Yeah, yeah, we haven't seen, uh, we haven't seen the internationals uh, for the last few years, of course, but... Uh, I was wandering around yesterday doing doing some work, and uh, Peter Moody is here, uh, Mick Price, uh, Trent Buston and Natalie Young are here, and then a lot of the Aussie agents, Andy Williams, Bevan Smith, Craig Roundsfield, Paul Moroney, Guy Mulcaster, looking for uh, Chris Waller, of course. Simon Zara is here, but uh, 
in saying that, all the Kiwis are here uh, in force as well. We've got uh, Alan Sharrick looking to spend a lot of his Taranaki money, and we've got the, the Wexford team, uh, the the uh, the strong Tiakia team, of course, and we've got mm. uh, Roger James and Robert Wellwood looking to reinvest some of that money after uh, Proers winning the three-year-old Chaka Million on Sunday and um, go racing. Um, Andrew Forsman, Stephen Marsh, the list goes on. So. Um, the, the planes are still arriving and people are still arriving on site. So that uh, that list is just getting bit bigger by the minute. Kane, what about uh, Asian interest? Yeah, we've got a good turnout from uh, Hong Kong. Um, some good trainers. I know a, a, a name that uh, everybody knows, uh, Jamie Richards. He's coming down, so it'll be great to see him him down here and buying some nice horses for his good um, local owners up in Hong Kong. Um, and some other trainers and, and um We've actually got a bit of interest from Japan and uh, and through um, Southeast Asia, right through Macau and Malaysia and, and Singapore, and then like I touched on, even some American interest as well. So a um, a real sort of diversified buying bench and, and quite a spread across various countries that we we love to sell to. Expectations must be uh, pretty high, Kane, because uh, you, you know you managed wonderful numbers last year. I think you're up uh, around about twenty four percent. Um, last year in book one with a clearance rate of uh, 77% overall which was when you consider so much of it was done remotely was a remarkable result you must be expecting even better this year yeah the sale uh, has held up phenomenally well over the last couple of years under uh, pretty trying circumstances to be fair um, but yeah I think I think the um, the massive international interest and, and attendance coupled with the the, the way our, our stallions and our horses are just flying and performing at all our major jurisdictions, and particularly Australia, I think that bodes very, very well for a, a pretty buoyant sale over the next week. Right, let's uh, look at the proven sires uh, whose progeny should go pretty well, the, the ones that have performed well in the past in the ring. Yeah, so when we talk about proven sires, Saberbeel is, is always uh, top of the list and he's certainly king of the castle. He's an amazing sire, and he's certainly he's getting older now, but he's certainly not slowing down. He's a phenomenal sire, and, and love and one we love to uh, sell here at Kadaka. But uh, horses like Pure and Canto are, are flying. Ocean Park's always been a proper proven sire, and one that has really, really put his hand up in recent times is Prostia. He's just he's been a revelation recently. He's he's won four of the um, ones here in New Zealand this season alone, and uh, and he's probably got the the best uh, couple of three-year-old fillies going around in Legato and uh, and Prowess. So he's really, really jumped out of the ground and, and, and uh, he's got his name up in lights and, and it's well-deserved. What about new sires? Are you hearing any rumours about uh, interest in uh, any one or two of those? Yeah, so Super Seth is probably the uh, the big new horse. Uh, he's he's a, um, a high-quality son of Dunkeel who's, who's standing there at Washington Stud. Um, he was a, a very, very good winner of the um, of the Caulfield Guineas over there in Australia, and and I think if anyone remembers the race or, or watches the replay, his, his turn of foot to run down Alligator Blood was just devastating, and and something that needed to be seen to be believed. He's a he's a proper horse, and he's leaving very, very nice looking horses, and, and one we're really excited to uh, to sell uh, next week. Um, but there's other horses. There's uh, there's Windspell. Um, who stands down there at Grange William. Um, uh, Ten Sovereigns we've got, and then a, a heap of um, new Australian sires as well. So there's a good spread of, uh, of first-season sires that we're looking forward to selling. 
When a horse is passed in, so it doesn't meet, uh, doesn't go on the market in terms of its uh, required sale price as such, what happens then uh, from your point of view? Yeah, so we've got a we've got a, a team who's uh, really really active in the ring, and, and we've seen all these horses multiple times. So if a horse doesn't pass in, we're we're working hard to see who the underbidders were, where the interest was coming from, uh, and we, we've got a facility where you can you can inquire online and, and make an offer or, or make an inquiry, and, and we can touch base and and try and sell those horses afterwards. And it's something we uh, we're proud of, and and we ha- we we uh, we uh, yeah, do a really good job of selling them. If they don't meet the reserve in the ring, we we can sell them afterwards, and we're working hard into the night and later into the sale, and, and even after the sale to, to sell those horses and, and get those clearance rates um, heading in the right direction. Well, you need obviously you need buyers in, in your uh, industry, and you need um, you need investors or, or people that are prepared to go into horses now. And, uh, syndication of horses is becoming. Um, quite a, a notable thing i mean it's been going for years but the size of the syndicates uh, are getting bigger and bigger all the time uh kane so if if i'm uh, i haven't got you know say i had five thousand two and a half five three five thousand dollars i'm not going to buy a horse yep. in the ring but how how can i get involved yeah so syndication is, is becoming a massive part of uh of racing not not only here in new zealand but worldwide and uh we've got some great syndication syndication outfits uh, in New Zealand headed by Tiakao and Go Racing but there's, there's a number of others um, they're, they're more than willing to uh, to touch base with anyone and, and field any inquiries And a lot of these horses they buy are on spec so they buy them without actually having owners lined up and um, as soon as they buy them people will register their interest and they'll sell down um, either small or, or sometimes larger um, chunks in these horses uh, reasonably quickly so a lot of them will sell down to two and a half uh, percent, uh, which makes it really, really affordable. And uh, look, I can, I can tell you, if you own two and a half percent or a hundred percent of the horse, you're still cheering just as loud when it crosses the line first. Yeah, I totally agree. That I've, I've witnessed it firsthand. Um, the the other thing uh, which is a, a little bit sad this year is um, I, I would imagine a lot of uh, people will be raising a glass at some stage. For a couple of uh, one of the great old characters and great contributors to New Zealand racing, uh, in terms of Colin Gillings, who won't be there, of course, who has passed away recently, uh, and so too uh, the legendary Sir Patrick Hogan. Absolutely, we've lost uh, we've lost a couple of real titans of the industry recently. Um, Colin Gillings, an amazing trainer, and uh, and obviously Sir Patrick just revolutionised the way we sell horses here in New Zealand and, and worldwide. So. Um, he, he leaves an, an enormous uh, hole but, and, and a massive legacy for absolute decades to come and, and we'll be doing a little tribute to Sir Patrick just prior to the, the start of selling on uh, Sunday morning oh, That's cool I, I figured you'd do something anyway uh, So 11 o'clock uh, Sunday morning uh, she all kicks off with the first one uh, going through the ring uh, Night sessions? No, no, no we, uh, we, we, We're the same right through Sunday through uh, through the following Friday, so we kick off at eleven o'clock each each day, um, and yep. then we sell sort of roughly two hundred or two uh, two twenty odd horses each day. Um, wow! Going through to sort of I don't know four o'clock, roughly four five o'clock. Um, There's six big days, um, but just uh, really welcoming everyone here on site. If you're if you've got any intention on buying a horse, or if you just want to come for a look around and see what it's all about, and and experience the the atmosphere and, and, and have a beer and an ice cream uh, you're absolutely more than welcome as well so 
welcoming everybody. And, and if you can't make it here on site at Kadaka, we've got uh, we've got the live stream on Sky Channel two six three, and and through mm -hmm. our Facebook on, on, and on our website. So uh, no excuse to uh, to miss any of the action. Well, we wish you all the best, uh, Kane. We wish uh, all the team at uh, New Zealand Bloodstock, uh, Sir Peter, of course, uh, and all those people that have been uh, instrumental in uh, such a great part of the industry for such a long period of time. May it be yet another success story for you, and thanks for your time this morning. Yeah, pleasure to be on the show, Smithy, and, uh, and we're, we're pumped for a really big week. We're looking forward to it. Good on you. Enjoy. Go well. Thank you. Kane Jones there from uh, New Zealand Bloodstock. Of course, the Caracas sales are beginning this Sunday at 11am. And honestly, you will see some magnificent looking uh, yearlings go through the ring. And it's interesting, if you haven't been, um, you see some big money spent. Um, you see some big players in there. Uh, they play their cards pretty close to their chest. They walk in and out of the ring, and some have their favourite seats where they sit. Uh, noticeably, uh, one David Ellis sit in his seat and look out. Uh, you know, there are uh, people that um, are real character, characters around the, the racing scene, and a lot of them, um, and great to hear that um, so many big names from Australia and further beyond will be here this, this year as well. It's a good place to be um, just for a day out. Take the kids, see some wonderful horses, if nothing else. Um, it is now uh, 11.18 here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Midnight oil there to uh, just uh, reinforce the fact that we're uh, acknowledging our Anzac friends from across the Tasman on Australia Day. Uh, awards time too um, with uh, the ICC and they've announced uh, overnight that uh, their T20 International Cricketers of the Year, the male T20 Cricketer of the Year is Surya Kumar Yadav, this exciting Indian batsman who can uh, tear any attack apart um, and he's won that and uh, in the women's side of things it's the Australian Talia McGrath, uh, she has uh, been named, uh, she's terrific all-round cricketer, she really is, uh, Talia McGrath. The Emerging Cricketers of the, of the Year have been uh, named as uh, India's Ranuka Singh uh, as the uh, women's uh, emerging player. And the giant that is Marco Janssen. Marco Janssen, of course, the South African who comes in at six foot seven. Uh, he's a left armour and he is tall, gets a bit of bounce and he's a handy batsman as well. Uh, he is the uh, male um, emerging Player of the Year, uh, Marco Janssen. So uh, that is good news for South African cricket, and they need some very good cricketers, I can promise you that. 
Um, so uh, other announcements will filter through over the next day or so. But yep, uh, Talia McGrath and uh, Surya Kumar Yadav, uh, the T20 International Players of the Year. On the subject too of uh, awards, uh, and this is a, a good one for me, Logan Swinkles. Uh, New Zealand Cricket have just uh, had a release that uh, New Zealand's Outstanding Female Cricketer of the Year will now be honoured with the inaugural Debbie Hockley Medal at this uh, year's annual Cricket Awards Ceremony. The newly minted honour is to be afforded equal status to the Sir Richard Hadley Medal for the Outstanding Male Cricketer of the Year. So uh, now they've uh, differentiated there, drawn a line between. Uh, It's become a regular event at the ANZ uh, Awards Dinner. This year they will be hosted on March the 23rd in Auckland, of course, Debbie Hockley regarded as one of the world's best batters during her playing days and one of the finest to have played the game, will present the new award in person herself. Of course, uh, Debbie Hockley, not only uh, one of the great uh, female cricketers in the world, uh, of course, she's in the Hall of Fame alongside Belinda Clark, Enid Bakewell and Rachel Hayhoe Flint. Um, she has also been uh, a wonderful administrator and president too in terms of New Zealand cricket. Uh, she's got the New Zealand Order of Merit. Uh, she was awarded that in 1999. A uh, companion of New Zealand Order of Merit also. So fully justified, uh, Logan, in naming it uh, the Debbie Hockley Medal. Yeah, 100%. It kind of makes you wonder why did it take so long? I mean, we're definitely seeing this now off the back of the growth of women's cricket. I think especially here in New Zealand, the amount of um, ten- attention that it gets Debbie has said, uh, said herself today with this release that women's cricket is going from strength to strength. The growth at all levels has been amazing and that she is looking forward to presenting this award to the inaugural recipient in March. And I think there's definitely going to be a few strong contenders there, Smithy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, look, you've got your, your Susie Bates, your Sophie Devine, Jamili Kurz. They've all uh, been uh, prominent when it comes to ICC teams around the, the world this calendar year. So... Uh, they'll certainly uh, be in the frame as well, and there's uh, a lot of interest in that. Over the years, it's they've uh, everyone's been nominated for the Sir Richard Hadley Award, but it's been very hard um, to award um, the award to um, a, a woman player because, of course, um, and it's not their fault, but they don't. New Zealand do not play Test cricket. New Zealand women's cricket team do not play Test cricket, and when it came to handing out awards, there was a certain amount for test performance, a certain amount for one-day performance, and a certain amount for T20 cricket of late. And when you accumulate all those points together across the field, um, then you you get to the point where you've got your out-and-out supreme winner. And, of course, if you're not playing test cricket, it makes it very, very hard from a a female point of view to actually get in alongside some of the men who have performed at test level because at the end of the day, uh, I still believe it's the hardest form of the game. It's the pinnacle of test cricket. You, uh, a pinnacle of cricket, you only have to talk to, to uh, the guys that play it to think to get the black cap, the original test cap on their head is still the ultimate goal in this country. So um, unfortunately for the women, they are not um, uh, at this point anyway uh, allowed to or permitted to play test cricket because it just doesn't fit the bill in terms of costs and scheduling and things of that nature. So... Uh, very hard. So now, uh, New Zealand Cricket, I think, have made a very sensible decision here in making and creating the Debbie Hockley Award. Uh, no doubt uh, that it's uh, absolutely the right name that's going on the medal. And also, um, we might try and get hold of Debbie Hockley tomorrow and then just talk about uh, women's cricket in general and the fact that uh, amongst all her other achievements in life, she now has uh, a medal minted after her 
in uh, recognition of our best female cricketer on an annual basis. It is coming up to uh, 11.30 here on SENZ, which means it's time for you to dial 0800 150811 and light up the lines and we'll have uh, 50 bucks worth of uh, TAB product available to you should you uh, answer uh, two or three questions in the affirmative. Good luck. It's time for Araha with the news. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, time to play Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Questions provided by producer Brian. And you got your quizmaster here, producer Logan. Smithy, we're going for a $50 TAB bonus bet today because uh, lately, aside from when you got the kitty up a little bit, I've just been getting smacked all around the grounds. Yeah, it's, uh, we've got some very, very uh, interesting um, competitors. I think very knowledgeable as well. Um, so we'll, we'll throw it open today. And uh, who's our first contender? I think it's been a while since we've had him on, and I'm pretty sure they're looking forward to this one. Carrie from Manawatu, come in, mate. Yeah. You there, Carrie? All right, coming through a little little bit patchy there, mate. Uh, maybe just walk around a little bit, see if we can get a better signal, see how to go. Uh, Smithy, I'll give you the topics first so you can sort of get yourself mentally prepared. We've got hockey that's focusing on the black sticks, NBA basketball, mm-hmm. and the Australian Open. The Australian Open tennis, okay. Thanks for that uh, insight. Is, uh, Kerry, have you, are you with us? D- doesn't appear he's there. All right. Well, we'll go to Luke from Dunedin. Uh, Luke, you there, mate? I'm here. How are you? Good. Uh, I think you heard the topics just there. What's your selection? I'll go with Aussie Ocean. All right. Bit of tennis. Here we go. It's going to be a huge weekend coming up. I know where I'm going to be. First question for you, Luke. Novak Djokovic is facing the only unseeded player to make it into the semi-finals. What's his name? Uh, it would be um, the American fella, Paul. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Smithy, I knew you would have had that. Yeah, Tommy Paul, we talked about him this morning, actually beating Ben Shelton yesterday, and uh, he's, um, well... He's probably about 20 bucks to beat uh, Djokovic on form at the moment. But uh, it's a two-horse race, and anything um, I suppose could happen. He could play the, the match of his life, and Djokovic can be slightly off. That's how good they are. So, uh, yep, Tommy Paul, that's uh, question one under your belt. Luke, well done. Second question for you, mate. Okay. Can you name the highest seed remaining in the women's singles draw? That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, all the top seeds have been falling left, right, and centre court, Smithy, down to the fifth seed. Yes, fifth seed, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been carnage, actually, on the women's side of the draw. I mean, it's, it's just right from the get-go, really, from round one, they've just been dropping off, really, and, and to be perfectly honest, I, I, I wouldn't even guarantee that uh, she'll go on and win it as the fifth seed either. Uh, it could come from anywhere. All right, last question for you, Luke. $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs here. Of the open era, 
Novak Djokovic is the all-time leader for most men's singles titles with nine at the Australian Open. The Fed Express is second with six. Can you name the American tennis legend who was third? I'll go, I'll just have to say Korea. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, good guess, but you have opened this up to the keeper, Smithy. Well, uh, American legend, um, I, I, I'm thinking along the Agassiz Sampras line, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I, I would be thinking um, on that kind of surface, I'll be going with Pistol Pete, Pete Sampras. One of the worst things I no. have ever seen done on no. a cricket field. <laughs> it was the other one. It was Andre. You're kidding me. Yep. Agassiz. Yes. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. It has to be Pete Sampras. He's won a lot more majors. I don't believe that. Yeah, not when it comes to the oh, Australian well. Open, mate. Andre Agassiz loved it in Melbourne. Oh, God, I loved Andre Agassiz. Hey, Luke, uh, Luke congratulations. Uh, you snuck through on my idiocy there, but I've got to be honest. I'd have taken Pistol. Take Pistol Pete over Andre Agassi most days of the week. Agassi was a lot more attractive to watch in terms of style of tennis, but uh, Pistol Pete was a machine. But you are too, Luke, so you, you've you've won the money. Um, so congratulations for that. And uh, stay on the line, Thank and uh, Brian will get all your details, eh? Cheers, guys. Cheers, uh, Luke from Dunedin. There's the winner. Have a great day, and uh, we'll have another one tomorrow morning when we'll be playing for 50 bucks, which you can take into the weekend or perhaps... Uh, spend on the uh, Wellington Cup. Um, interesting to note that uh, the LIV battle goes on, even though uh, the year has ticked over to a new number. Uh, Rory McIlroy's finally turned up to tournament play and has had, um, uh, I think, a, a fair to say, an altercation with Patrick Reed, who doesn't back down either any direction either. Uh, Patrick Reed went up to talk to uh, McIlroy apparently on the practice uh, field. And um, McElroy snubbed him, completely and utterly snubbed him. He said, Patrick came up to me to say hello, and I didn't really want to talk to him. Um, he said, uh, I was asked about reports that the, the American being uh, Reed said, threw a tee at me in my direction. The four-time major winner said he didn't see or feel anything, but apparently that's what happened. And if roles were reversed, I'd have thrown the tee at him, and I'd be probably expecting him to file a lawsuit in my direction. So, um, you know, it, it just it's going to carry on. And uh, Rory, of course, uh, was quite... Uh, fatigued by the whole thing, being basically the spokesman on behalf of um, what would you assume, what would you call it, uh, convention? Is, is spokesman on behalf of convention. It's not. It's not going to go away. And yet, Smithy, with all of that, he got tired of it by the end of last year. He's just stoked the flame again by making those comments. He literally, he could yeah, have ignored it, it. He could have ignored it. It won't. It won't worry him. Um, you know. <laughs> And, and Greg Norman continues now um, the, the details of uh, that uh, deal they had with television. Uh, should dig those out again just to show you how lowly down uh, the rankings of t- television in America, the channel is they've linked with. Oh, it's yeah. about 28th or 29th in terms of rankings for watching sport. Uh, even though it has a, p- a potential viewing audience of 120-something million people, uh, not many people watch it. Uh, and so it'll, it will be interesting to see. Uh, I... I I think that there's still a long way off from settling uh, LIV and uh, the conventional DP Tour and the PGA Tour. And the reason why is uh, Greg Norman. I don't think anyone wants to deal with him. Mm. And as, as long as um, I think the, the players in the LIV, if they want to get back and they want to ha- have it come back together in any sort of direction, 
they probably have to be the people that turn around to Greg and say it's been great, you've given us uh, a lot of money in a short space of time and we're grateful for it but um, we we want to play in these tournaments, we want to be able to you know play for the green jacket etc, uh, continue to do that and if that disappears us on the fact that we don't get any rankings and we disappear off the, those numbers uh, then it uh, be uh, interesting uh, to see what the result of that is. Uh, it would be also interesting, we know that uh, Ryan Fox has, has uh, managed to secure an invite to the Masters, and that's what it is. It basically is an invite that comes to you, um, and, and if, uh, it would be interesting to know where the invites have gone. I'm not sure if they actually publish them or whether you don't know until the field is actually uh, fully fo- uh, finished, but it would be interesting to know if all those live players on the fringes, etc., who previously would have qualified, uh, I think it would be interesting to know uh, if any of them uh, have been snubbed. I think you know past winners uh, are obliged to be invited, but maybe not. Maybe um, the, the masters who are ruling to themselves may well be, may well be uh, having a, a change of thought there. But Foxy's in the field, and that's what's important to us. Eleven forty here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Travelling in a freighter combi On a hippie trailhead full of zombies I met a strange lady, she made me nervous she took me in and gave me breakfast And she said Do you come from a land down under A women go and men wonder Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder You better run, you better take cover Yeah, men at work there with uh, that magnificent song from the past. Um, of course, we've been playing Australian music today because it is uh, Australia Day over there and uh, celebrating it at the Australian Open as well. And uh, that song brings back a few memories as well for Kiwi, particularly Kiwi cricketers in 1990. Uh, Martin Crow, the late Martin Crow, was captain to uh, Pakistan and we had a side that was uh, down on numbers a wee bit after a couple of retirements, etc. So we were a little bit lambs to the slaughter. So he said, uh, let's have a team song. And that was it. And we put it on on the bus going to the ground pretty much every day and boom it out. And, uh, of course, uh, by the end of it, you pretty much got to know every lyric in it. Um, but it worked no good. We got hammered every day. <laughs> Unfortunately, even though it was supposed to inspire us, uh, it backfired a wee bit. It was still uh, certainly a, a great tune. There's no doubt about it. Uh, breakers are in action tonight. And they are playing against the Brisbane Bullets. That uh, game commencing at uh, 9.30. It's a road game. So over there in uh, Queensland... Of course, they sit third at the moment. They've uh, got a game in hand on the team who is finishing second, of course, and they're bouncing back after that uh, fantastic win against the Sydney Kings, uh, which halted a, a pretty poor run of form just at the right time, you would sense, Logan. Yep. The road to the championship is uh, well on its way because they do play Melbourne United as well at home on Saturday. That is going to be a real tough ask. 
Uh, the game tonight against the Brisbane Bullets might be a bit of an emotional fear, Smithy, at least on the Brisbane side of things, because uh, across the ditch, uh, some sad news recently. It's quite, I mean, disappointing anytime something like this, something like this ever happens. Uh, Harry Froling from the Brisbane Bullets was found on, unconscious at like 2 a.m. on the streets of Wollongong and Illawarra there the night of uh, their win against the Hawks after he was allegedly hit with a one-punch attack from behind. Uh, a 19-year-old man has landed, handed himself into police over that act, so uh, that's good in some regard, I guess. I'd rather you didn't do it in the first place, but that does mean that Harry Froling is now out for the rest of the season, Smithy. That's terrible, and he's got a brain, a brain bleed. Brain bleed and a, a fractured skull, so you imagine the road to recovery for that is quite long. Uh, reminds me of uh, the late David Hooks, who uh, suffered a, a hit from behind as well, um, and uh, never recovered, never a- actually regained consciousness once he hit the concrete. That was it for David Hooks. So, mm. too often, eh? Too often that uh, people get targeted in that manner, and um, every single time, man, um, this uh, ruined two lives. Absolutely ruined two lives, probably, in, in the sense of things. Two lives. So, um, that 19 year old kid, he'll be feeling a mess, and if he isn't, he should be. Um, what about, uh, speaking of injuries, and this time uh, a little bit more legitimate than that one, uh, Stephen Adams, news coming through of a problem there. Yeah, Stephen Adams is set for an extended break on the sidelines due to a knee injury smithy. The Memphis Grizzlies have confirmed that the big Kiwi centre will be out of the NBA action for between three to five weeks with a PCL strain in his right knee. The loss of the defensive and rebounding powerhouse is a huge blow for the Grizzlies, as you can imagine, who have now lost three straight games after previously scoring a club record run of 11 consecutive victories. Adams has been in dynamic form in the early stages of this year, leaving a big hole for the Grizzlies to fill. The injury occurred, unfortunately, during the final play, so almost coming unscathed there in the 112-110 loss to the Phoenix Suns on Tuesday New Zealand time. That comes from stuff. So, yeah, bit of a bit of a miss there, not having Stephen Adams because you know how much he means to that team, Smitty. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, and he's uh, probably playing the best basketball of his career at this point. He's been the most dominant. Um, I think he's he's the enforcer. What do they call him? Head of security uh, <laughs> as well when it comes to courtside problems. Uh, he has just, um, he's become such a leading figure in his combination with Morant. has been uh, quite outstanding. So they'll miss him in the run-in. They, they certainly will. Um, and let's hope uh, it doesn't put a dampener on uh, on his career. Big man, when big, big guys get uh, ankle injuries and those sorts of problem areas they take because of the weight that's put on the on those joints. It takes a lot uh, longer than perhaps uh, smaller people to recover. So uh, we'll keep an eye on uh, Stephen Adams and uh, his road back to to good health. Um, I just got a text through. I can't two texts through. Uh, Smithy, it's truly amazing with these ICC men's awards that India continually have the best players but never win anything. Mm, interesting that um, there's a huge huge panel of uh, people uh, who vote on this. Um, including uh, from New Zealand, uh, Susan McFadden uh, uh, wrote so on the ICC Cricketer of the Year, I noticed. Um, Frankie Mackay uh, is also on that list. Simon Dool is on that list as well. So um, notable people in New Zealand. Um, and, of course, uh, a lot of people voting from uh, the subcontinent as well. But it is um, officially done through um, uh, an accountant, so there's no tinkering with the results or et cetera like that. I can, I can promise you. Uh, but yep, uh, Indians are often to the forefront there, and yeah, I wouldn't deny this guy though. He's uh, probably the, one of the most dynamic cricketers I've seen 
in a long, long time. And here's another one from Joey. And Joey, uh, incidentally, um, Logan's uh, got the the day off tomorrow because he's got weekend work as well. Um, but that means Ricardo Ball is going to be sitting in the producer's chair. And if this tr- if this text is true, we will not be talking. If this is true, Joey's come in and said, "Hey, Smithy." Are we getting Harry Kane from you guys? That's the mighty Man United. Hope so. Uh, uh, really? Uh, are, are you kid- are you kidding me? Harry Kane going to Manchester United? If that's the case, Ricardo, um, you and I won't be speaking tomorrow very much at all. It is 11.52, but I am speaking to Mark Stafford, and I'll do that shortly.